Welcome back to Horror Cats and Witch Hats with Katie and Izzy. Uh, thank you for joining us again. It's really, uh, it, it's really amazing to know we have listeners. <laughs> yes, shout out to all of our listeners. Thanks, our international ones. We have Ireland listeners. Shout out to the homeland of the redheads. And There's some, some <laughs> Philippine-located people. New Zealand, yeah, New Zealand, Puerto Rican. I'm sure that was exactly how Costa they Rica, say it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. We love it. Thanks for being here. You guys are awesome. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. There's a there. We got Instagram, Facebook, and go message us and post on our wall. <laughs> so we're gonna start this episode with something a little different than we normally do as well. Um, last time we did horror history. This time we're going to do current events. And so to kick us off, uh, we're going to start with the most upsetting one. And that is the horror that has become Joss Whedon and his legacy. It's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking seeing something you really had so much love for just crumble. Yes. And if you don't know who Joss Whedon is, he is a writer and director um, he's done a couple of the Avengers movies, the first one, and I think Age of Ultron, maybe. I think so. But all I really care about is that he is the brainchild, of, or he, not the brainchild, the brain parent, I guess. Of, he's he's the whole mastermind behind the Buffyverse. Yes. Everything Buffy, the comics, the movie, the TV series. And that's been our entire life. We watched it as children, and we still rewatch it continuously through this day. <laughs> so... So. Earlier, I think I don't know if it was the tail end of January or the beginning of February, but Charisma Carpenter kind of kicked off this most recent hailstorm of shit that is Joss Whedon with a tweet yeah. about um, how awful of a human being he is on set to people, and I'm sure he's like that offset as well, based off what his wife has done. She actually penned like a whole essay about how horrible he is towards oh. women specifically. Because I guess he is a self-proclaimed male feminist. And I think he mostly just gets that because he created a strong character like Buffy. (laughs) But the show had a lot of firsts, which is awesome. And it was one of the first, I'm not saying it's the first, but it was one of the first TV shows to do an openly lesbian couple. Which was awesome. And it wasn't based on, like, sex fantasies, essentially. Like, they had a real full-grown relationship. It was the best relationship. (laughs) But, yeah, in that essay, his wife talks about uh, that he had a lot of affairs with women on studio sets. And in her view was that he was using his power as the head honcho of those sets to influence the relationships of these women towards himself. Um, in a very Weinstein kind of way. Um, No one's come out and said that that specifically was the way that it went down or that relationship. Um, All of the accusations that I have seen so far have just been that he is a psychological terror and dehumanizes people to the extreme. Yeah, even uh, recently with the the reshoot of the Justice League that's been going on, uh, Ray Fisher, who is playing Cyborg, he tweeted... um, And he said, Whedon had gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable behavior during the Justice League reshoots. And he also, never mind, never mind. I I can't confirm what I was going to say because I don't remember if I remember it properly. So just, I think there was like an investigation or something. Well, I, if I remember correctly, he, because, uh, so if I remember correctly, because Ray Fisher came out and he tweeted that and everything, uh, Whedon then went back into the script and took out a shit ton of cyborg in general and so he was like barely in any of the any like any of it but I can't confirm that and I don't remember if that's true or not so I don't want to be like blabbering that on and then it be not but it does based off what other people have claimed it sounds very Whedon-ish the most important thing that hit us besides the fact that he's a horrible human being but how is it it affected Buffy I think one of the first people to actually speak about it was Buffy's stunt double and her husband, who is one of the stunt coordinators in the first one or three seasons. Um, Everything we're saying is hearsay, by the way. None of this is fact. 
Um, this is what people have said. Allegedly. It's all alleged. All alleged. Yes, alleged. That's our word. Alleged. Uh, but as we said, basically, Charisma Carpenter kicked off this huge hailstorm, um, which is unfortunate, unfortunate that it took her to do this. this. One, it is unfortunate that it isn't until now that she felt that the pop culture of America was going to accept it, for starters. Because she even mm-hmm. cites the only reason... She felt comfortable doing it is because of the success of like the Me Too movement. So yeah, that's unfortunate that it this is the first time she's felt comfortable coming out with that. But also that all these other people have been saying things this whole time and everyone's brushed them aside. In such a hostile work environment. Tons of people have flocked to support her, which is really cool to see. Yeah, Michelle Trachtenberg was actually one of the first people to step right behind her when that when everything came out. Because I guess she dealt with a lot of it. And Michelle was really young when she was doing the, like, Buffy, the series. So it's really interesting. Pretty much every single person who's a main character on Buffy has rallied or commented. It's interesting Mm -hmm. to see who, just based off their comments, saw that side of him and who had no idea. Uh, Like, um, let's see, Michelle Trachtenberg, she's come out being like, yeah, we all know he was a grade A grade a asshole uh james marsters he's love you (laughs) sorry i've always you know me i've had the biggest obsession with james marsters my entire life spike has been my man i cried when i met him it was wonderful anyways i kind of got mixed vibes because at first um he was like wow sorry i didn't realize that was happening was kind of the vibe i got from one of his comments to charisma or miss carpenter whatever you want to call it um but then in other interviews He's been saying, he said things like, oh, there were things that he did to me or the way that he acted towards me that at the time I was just like, oh, this is just, you know, how he works. But after hearing everybody else going through things like that, I'm realizing, wow, that was truly unacceptable, which also brings to the point that on set actors get treated like absolute crap and they're just told, hey, that's how you accept it. In any job, you're just like, that's the boss. What are you going to do about it? Right. Right. So David Boreanaz, I think, was one of the first people to know about it. I don't know if he experienced it personally, but um, I think Charisma Carpenter leaned on him a lot during Angel, during all of that I'm drama. I'm sure. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar came out with kind of a, I support you, but I'm not going to put myself in the middle of it. So right. I don't, we don't know. We can only guess what happened with her. Um, Anthony Head, who played Giles has said I love that man i know he's awesome <laughs> i love him dearly he said i like i had no idea he was one of the ones that was like i'm so sorry like i had no idea which again is it's he seems interesting like just such a gentle man literally he even says on there he's like i i say that not as in it was happening and i just didn't acknowledge it i say that as i was the father figure and it breaks my heart that i couldn't do something to help was basically how he He really was the father figure like and that was like a big storyline piece so uh amber benson who played tara she was like yeah he was awful um and then eliza dishku who played faith she tweeted to charisma thank you i hadn't known it and i won't forget it i frequently think of the saying we are as sick as our secrets our secrets indeed make and keep us sick it's pretty rough yeah and it's, it's very true. Uh, Nicholas Brandon, who plays Xander, uh, he really hasn't made any comments insinuating anything. So from what I saw, he made a comment specifically saying, I am not going to comment on this because it's too like it's too close to me. So to me, that says that perhaps he did experience some things um he's had uh, there's so many cats walking all over me right now i know i love it <laughs> I see tails everywhere um, he's had a lot of history of like substance abuse uh which was one of the big deals with like their photo thing they did the reunion photo they did so i'm kind of wondering if some of that is related to a lot of trauma that occurs during acting <laughs> you can't help but look at the industry and go what's going on <laughs> yeah it's kind of cool that people are i mean it's not kind of cool it's really cool that people are starting to come out and not only that but people are rallying behind each other it's a cause for change but anyways another horror current event news (laughs) onto brighter for brighter maybe news um (laughs) yes it's all bright from here i don't know about you i love the conjuring i think 
the house of the original Conjuring, like what it was made of, is available to spend the night in. So you can go sleep in a really haunted house. Creepy, <laughs> creepy old house. But is it still haunted or did they banish that thing yeah, in uh, real life? Like, like the real warrants? The real warrants? I believe they took the object that was like causing the problem there and like they got everything out of it. You know, I don't actually know. I should probably know better than I do. But, you know what? Um, we'll do that series, and uh, we'll get into that on that episode. How yeah. about that? <laughs> instead of really freaking out, instead of doing a callback to an episode, we're gonna call forward to a future episode. <laughs> um, I lied. We do have one not so bright fact. This is actually a really sad, sad, sad fact. Um, for anybody who loved Christopher Plummer, the beautiful man from Canada, he died at the age of ninety-one on the fifth of this month. You'll know him from a lot of different movies. He was in A Beautiful Mind, which is a wonderful movie that uh, I feel doesn't get enough recognition. Um, he was also in Priest, which is another kind of horror, scary-ish movie. Most recently, Knives Out. Yeah, which was he, and that's the thing is he doesn't even look like he had like any sort of like any, and I know Knives Out was made a couple years ago, but it, beautiful movie. He did very great in it, and um it's really sad to see him go. He was a wonderful, wonderful actor. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember like the main movie that I remember him from. He's in a lot. He's in a lot. He's in so many. So returning to brighter news, the Texas Department of Safety sent out an Amber Alert <laughs> that had uh, Chucky and his spawn Glenn. It was supposed to be a test went horribly awry and got sent to everybody and it had details as the kidnapper or suspect sorry the suspect being a doll with red hair weapon with a knife and it was chucky they had a picture of chucky with it and then the kid that was missing was glenn from spawn of chucky right is what it's Uh, seed of chucky seed of chucky so we will post the picture of that amber alert um, I can only imagine what happened to the person who fucked that up. <laughs> remember, I had a Chucky doll back in the day. I do. I do Good remember. times. My mom hated that doll. I loved it. In other current events, Tim Burton's coming back onto the scene. I'm so excited about this. He's got a um, he's he's doing a Netflix series called Wednesday. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it's called. I believe it's just called Wednesday. I could be wrong, but uh, it's it's gonna have roughly about eight episodes featuring Wednesday Adam as a psychic detective that has. And the way he's doing this is very interesting. So we're gonna see how this goes because it's all based on Wednesday Adams, but being a, like tapping into her, like her psychic powers and things like this. I have two hopes. I hope it's nothing like Nancy Drew, and I hope it's kind of sinister and dark. <laughs> I do too. And knowing Tim Burton, it's gonna be dark no matter what. Uh, additionally, Shutter is a I think it's a streaming service hosted by AMC. They are going to start a black horror anthology series, um, and it will start at the end of this year. And it is inspired by the documentary called Horror Noir. Uh, you can watch it on Amazon. We're going to cover it at some point because I think underrepresentation in horror movies uh, everywhere, but we're a horror podcast, so we're going to reference horror movies, uh, is wild. Like, if you... I think we've only had one person of color, uh, two, including the movie today, in all of the movies we've covered so far. So it's it's wild. So it's really exciting. Dr. Robin Means Coleman, who is the, I almost said brainchild again. I don't know why I'm so stuck on that phrase. <laughs> who is the creator? Children. Yeah, the brain mom of horror noir. She's going to be a consultant on the TV series. They're trying to feature... Not only up-and-coming people of color who are writers, directors, screenwriters, but also ones who have been and just haven't been heard. I'm pretty excited. I am I think that it will do great things. That's exciting. I'm actually really excited about that. And if you're a big Super, uh, super Bowl fan, I almost said superhero. <laughs> uh, if you like the football thing <laughs> that, 
that weird weird looking ball football fans american football we have international listeners you have to specify american football i love soccer i love football yeah correct we support football (laughs) yes i don't do the american football thing i don't know anything Mm -hmm. about it i know they stop every two seconds and it annoys me anyways uh if you're watching the super bowl you probably saw the trailer for the new m night Shyamalan movie coming out it's called old it's coming out in july there is a trailer it's a psychological thriller and it looks really interesting i watched it without any sound on so i couldn't hear any of the thing but just watching it was really frightening to be honest i love m night Shyamalan. he's he's wonderful he's the father of twists he's not the father of twists but he's really good at them that concludes our current events at least the yeah at least the ones that we had time to include and without further ado, our movie for this episode is none other than The House on Haunted Hill. And we are talking the original 1959. Uh, it was released yes. in February, which, as we learned last episode, means it's a B-rated movie. <laughs> uh, not that that has held out throughout the ages. The biggest thing that I cannot stress is do not confuse this with the house or the haunting. Oh my gosh, I can't keep it straight myself. The Haunting of Hill House, um, not only the Netflix series, but it was based off of a book written by Shirley Jackson that came out in 1959 as well. Similar names, very different stories. (laughs) Same year. It's a little confusing. Don't get it complicated. Don't make it complicated anyways don't complicate uh, it yeah it's complicated, complicated already i don't know <laughs> now <laughs> yeah, i just want to sing complicated by avril lavigne it's fine anyways house on haunted hill back to this the 1959 version was directed by william castle who also did rosemary's baby and 13 ghosts and apparently did a stage version of dracula 18 which is pretty impressive um because at 18 i was happy to graduate college or high school college <laughs> graduating college in 18 oh i'd be smart <laughs> yeah there are some people in this world that are way more motivated than i was uh so on imdb cool. his trademark is listed as directing low budget b movies <laughs> february um, yet over the top gimmicks in both production and promotion and i guess he during this time it was actually pretty common for like movie theaters to do wild things to get people to go to the movies. So think like an opening night of a movie. Um, like when you go to the Harry Potter ones and they have Diagon Alley and things like that. I was going to say, do you remember when we did that? <laughs> <laughs> but they did it frequently for movies. So for House on Haunted Hill, he had a pulley system that he rigged or the people who worked there rigged. And there's this big part with a skeleton at the end of the movie. And they would drop a glow-in-the-dark skeleton through the theater over people's heads. Um, and I guess it became a game, so younger kids would go to the movies with their slingshots and try and shoot the skeleton. Which, as a child, I would love, but as an adult, I'd be so pissed if fries were hitting me on the head. <laughs> he also liked to do the cameo appearances um, in his films, and he actually created what's dubbed as a trademark silhouette that showed him Sitting in a director's chair with, like, this big fat old cigar. So that's where that came from. Yeah, no, Hitchcock liked to, uh, one of the, Hitchcock is the main director I know that always uh, did cameos in his movies, like Stan Lee, thinking about it now. Um, But Hitchcock did that, and when House on Haunted Hill originally came out, Hitchcock actually noticed the big grosses that Castle got for this movie and how big it was on a low budget and so he uh, he basically took this and it influenced his low-budget thriller, Psycho, which is a huge movie. I think House on Haunted Hill was kind of a kickoff point for B-rated horror movies to say, hey, yeah, it's worth making this movie that might just work out. Yeah. Um, so House on Haunted Hill is written by Rob White, and uh, he was the writer of a lot of William Castle's horror movies in general, so they work together a lot, which is really cool. And um, he does also have credits to write, uh, writing the remake and the sequel of the House on Haunted Hill movies, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, he, I don't think he wrote the screenwrite, but he helped with the storyline. 
or something like that. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. The star and main character of the original House on Haunted Hill is a millionaire, and he is played by none other than Vincent Price. One of the best known horror actors, well, actors in the world, but doing very perfect horror movies and characters. Well, we talked about him last time. Yeah, go listen to episode four. Vincent Price is actually also in, I think, The Tingler, another William Castle one. I think he did those back to back. Say it again. The Tingler. Tingler. (laughs) How do you say it? The what? No, I just think it's creepy. <laughs> oh, tingler. Oh, it sounds weird the when I say it. Say it five times. Pe- tingler, 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 tingler. I don't know. That sounds weird. Now I'm saying it too much. Now I feel awkward. So the wife of the millionaire played by none other than Vincent Price is played by the gorgeous Carol Omart. Yeah. Omart. <laughs> Omart. Cool thing. She was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. Shout out to our listeners there, which is like 90% of you. (laughs) Well, considering I'm in Salt Lake City, hey, I like that she was born here. I think that's really cool. I think it's really awesome. She is a radio. She was a radio singer in Salt Lake City because um, shout out to the radio business that I'm in. (laughs) But additionally, she won Miss Utah uh, at the age of 19. And she came in fourth in the 1946 Miss America contest. I mean, she is beautiful. She's so pretty. She is. I think she was a brunette at the time, which is probably why she didn't win. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. But uh, yeah, she was a brunette at the time. She's a blonde in The House on Haunted Hill, if you haven't yes. seen it. Um, her last movie was called The Spectre of Edgar Allan Poe, uh, which I only threw in there because we talked about Edgar Allan Poe last episode. I guess he was kind of an influential character during all those times well yeah he was a huge writer for a lot of like the whole the the horror style of things um and kind of like the creepy and thrilling eerie side of stuff eerie is a good word and then um, i just wanted to do a special shout out to gail mcgarry who did the hair for this movie because one of the comments i made while we were watching this was wow her hair didn't move at all (laughs) Um, Carol's hair is, it's so on point during this movie. I mean, all of them are, but, uh, yeah. She just, she really does stand out. She really does stand out. (laughs) And some of the articles I read, they talk about how she was trying to be an actress during a time when Marilyn Monroe was really big. So the standards were harder, I guess. Mm -hmm. Or everyone wanted the blonde bombshell. Yeah. Which she was. Then we have Richard Long, who plays our handsome, heroic, uh, logical, I'm going to fix everything and protect you, man. He Lance Schroeder is the character's name. And he comes off very strong immediately. <laughs> like He's like, hello, I'm here. <laughs> yes, and instantly he's like, we need to work out if this house is actually haunted. Yeah, he's like, whoa, 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 just wait a second. He's also the one that makes the first save when the chandelier falls. Fun little fact. He also um, has some real creepy vibes, which it's not intended yeah. to be. But as a woman, you're like, that's one of those moments where guys don't understand what they're the vibes they're putting off. Because <laughs> he like yeah, well, closes like, the door when she's trying to leave and won't let her leave. And he's like, I just want to talk to you. And she's like, yeah, I feel I feel not safe. <laughs> you can, like see it in her eyes where she's like, I'm uncomfortable. And who we are talking about is also the helpless female uh, leading kind of lady who is played by Carolyn Craig. Uh, her name was Nora Manning and uh, I like the name Nora I don't know I think it's cool but yeah she plays kind of a helpless woman we'll talk about this in one in another episode Um, we have a different theme for this episode but we are going to talk about like the archetypes associated with horror movies and there's like the protective male who tries to logic his way through things the helpless female the person who just instantly dies because <laughs> they're stupid. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a different episode. But that's definitely all. Those archetypes are sweatingly present. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we always have to have a doctor around. Doctors save the day and make sure that nobody's going into hysteria or psychosis. Um, and that is played by Alan Marshall. There's more casts, but they're not important, so I didn't talk about them. <laughs> well, I think uh, 
Pritchett, I guess. Also, yeah, I was gonna. That's who I was gonna mention really quick. Is um one of the main guys who you kind of he's the first one you see and the last person you see in the movie, and uh, that is Watson Pritchett. He is played by Elisha Cook Jr. and uh, he's very interesting. He's he looks like he's always scared. He's the shortest one too. I don't know if you noticed that. He, yeah, he is the shortest. He's one. <laughs> very meek. He's like the only one they didn't pick because he was attractive. Um, like he he stands out of that whole crowd. We need you to look scrawny and helpless and weak. That's what they're going for. So this movie starts out <laughs> with a horrifying scream, which is what you heard at the beginning of this episode. Well, also fun fact, this is another movie that Izzy has never seen that I grew up watching. And this is another movie that reminds me of my dad because we watched this together because he was the one that showed me Vincent Price. I haven't seen this movie in a little while. I forgot it started out this way and it was really quiet. So I was like, oh, I can't hear it. Like maybe there's music or something. Nope. Sudden scream. Both of us jumped. (laughs) My bad. Sorry. Definitely caught me off guard. Yeah, I was just trying to get you in the mood. Yeah, you did. You got me. Scared. <laughs> scared the puppy right off my lap, too. <laughs> oh, no. Poor puppy had surgery, too. <laughs> you know, I just wanted that chill to go down your spine real fast and get you ready. Kitty. Ow. Anyways. Uh, so if you want to know the synapse of this movie, I've got that. Because you probably want to know what it's about. So, as we know, there's a millionaire. He basically offers $10,000 to five random people Uh, who he knows are kind of in need of money. But he doesn't tell them exactly what's going on because he's like, come up to this house, we're celebrating a birthday, you'll get $10,000 if you stay. Now, they didn't know that they were going to end up getting locked in this house and having to spend overnight. So that's what happens. And uh, they learn, well, you learn very quickly as the viewer of the movie that the millionaire and his wife do not have a good relationship. It's very dysfunctional. Neither of them are happy. And uh, they joke about murder attempts that have happened in the relationship. And my favorite line of this entire movie, he it's Vincent Price. He grabs a champagne cork or champagne bottle, shakes it, and she's like, why do you always do that? It ruins it. And he's like, imagine the headline, Playboy kills wife with champagne cork and points the bottle at her. <laughs> I think it's hilarious, but at the same time, it'd be terrifying to actually have a shooken up champagne bottle cork or bottle pointing at you. I'm interrupting. I don't drink a lot of alcohol. I think it's gross. I don't like the flavor. So I don't know. Yeah. Is it pops? Is it yeah? Is it weird that it didn't do that, or is that more rare than I think? No, it's not necessarily rare that like he shook it up and it didn't pop immediately. Uh, anyways, back to the synopsis. So basically, the 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 visitors that are there that are told to if they stay, they get ten thousand dollars. They start to believe the house is really haunted, and there's a whole bunch of things that happen. And then all of a sudden, the wife is found hanging and is pronounced dead by the doctor in the group. So very pit in the pendulum like we're gonna go back to episode four really fast because the wife ends up actually faking her own death because she is having an affair with the doctor and uh he so that's why this is their whole ploy so they can murder the husband and take all of his money and run off together and um obviously in the end you know the the greatest twist of all the millionaire knows about the whole this whole thing the entire time ends up killing them both and then supposedly they all, the rest of them, walk out the door confused with $10,000. Or or do they? I mean, what would have happened to them? You don't know. They could have died in the house. But the house isn't haunted. He makes that very clear. Yeah, everything was set up by the doctor and the wife. And then at the end, the skeleton is on the pulley. So. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, Suck the skeleton it. was on the pulley. That skeleton. That skeleton gets a credit in the... I love that. I think it's the funniest it thing on earth. Skeleton himself. <laughs> yep. So today, the $10,000 that he offered is roughly worth $84,000. I would do it. Would you do it? What's the lowest amount you would accept to stay in a notoriously haunted house? Like if someone was going to pay you to stay in The Conjuring or the Amityville Horror House. Oh, fuck. How much would you accept? That- the Amityville Horror House, that shit scares me, to be honest. Yeah, I probably at least need, like, maybe $25,000, because I love haunted houses. I like the creepy things, so I wouldn't be, like, highest. 50000 would be great. 84000 would be even better. So if we get 200 listeners, 
to comment we'll go stay at the conjuring house and record an episode <laughs> i would so be down that'd be so much fun see i don't think you'd have to pay me to stay in one of these i'm not somebody who seeks those out by any means but i'd do it for the experience if someone was like hey i mean if they offered it i certainly wouldn't turn it down <laughs> no i don't think anybody would but also my strategy if i'm in a haunted house is to uh, find a corner curl into a ball and not investigate shit <laughs> I'm just going to sit here. Every creek is a ghost and I'm not seeing Nope, it. it's all cats. All cats that all are cats. wandering around. <laughs> just put out a plate of like a like a circle of cat food around you. Yes, <laughs> yes, genius. I just have a shit ton of tuna fish. <laughs> People will be like, why does it smell so bad in here? Like but like a, a pentagram and catnip. <laughs> yes. Uh, so That's how we conjure cats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this movie, uh, they I guess they didn't do the re-up the the rights they didn't redo the rights in a timely manner so it's actually public domain you can watch it legally <laughs> on youtube uh, but it's definitely streaming on amazon prime um, they have the unrated version the original version and a color version so i've only seen the unrated version it was in black and white i think you said you've seen all the other ones right I'm going to tell you this now. There is no difference between the unrated version and the original that I noticed at all. I mean, there wasn't anything to put in there that would have made it unrated. There is one thing in this movie that makes absolutely no sense to me at all whatsoever. And uh, it's the part with the hand that comes around the door. That's just regular horror theatrics. The Basically, the exterior of the house was shot... Um, at the historic Ennis House in Los Feliz, California. Los Feliz? I took French, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, this house can also be seen in Rush Hour, Karate Kid 3, Star Trek The Next Generation, woo-woo, I love that show, uh, Westworld, and the cartoon of it is seen in South Park. That's cool. I didn't know about the South Park one. It is also uh, the mansion that Angelus and Spike and Drusilla live in in the second season, second or third season of Buffy. Yeah. So the one thing that I have, speaking of like conjuring cats, they hit a lot of those, like you said, the creepy hand coming around the door, like typical horror expectations, right? Creepy ghosts, old women, yep. skeletons. There was not a single black cat in that house. No. And I feel or like, it. yeah, and I feel like there should have been a cat lurking somewhere. It it would have added to the story. Like if the girl... Like a meow! And it like rubs up on the girl or something. Oh, I was thinking more of like the woman who screams a lot turns the corner and the cat is like all arched and is like... <laughs> and then leaves. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. So there is a remake of this. It is The House on Haunted Hills. Uh, it came out in 1999. William Castle's daughter consulted as a co-producer, which I thought was pretty cool. The 1999 remake was directed by William Malone. So the millionaire in this movie is played by Joffrey Rush, who's actually really big. And I did not recognize him because he's so young. <laughs> and he looks oh, really? he looks so much like Vincent Price. I kept thinking, oh my gosh, is that Vincent Price? Did they just put a shit ton of makeup on him? <laughs> I think they casted this movie perfectly because of Joffrey Rush. I love that guy, though. He is a wonderful actor. So they actually, the director did not intend to have the millionaire look like Vincent Price. The, he wanted just like a typical rich guy. Solid bonus right there. <laughs> Which is, we say typical, but we mean like in the horror movie of archetypes. Typical, solid business yeah. rich guy. Uh, but then once they put this look together and he looked just like Vincent Price, they were like, you know what? I like it. Let's keep it. Um, and then his character's last name is Price. So, Yes. If you don't know who Joffrey Rush is, he's uh, Captain Barbosa in Pirates of the Caribbean. So the only other thing that we're going to say real fast about Joffrey Rush is that he had a total of 46 awards and 80 nominations. His wife... Oh, I'm going to murder this name. His wife is played by... Is it Femke? 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 Femake? I was going to say Famke. Famke? <laughs> cool. Uh, so Famke Jansen. She, she, you'll know her as Jean Grey in the X-Men 2000 series. 
that's like I feel feel her biggest role. But uh, she does wonderful. She was actually nominated for um, favorite supporting actress in the in this movie specifically, and uh, she was a nominee for best supporting actress by Fangoria Chainsaw Awards for this movie. Her name is weird because she was born in the Netherlands. The heroic save everyone type in this movie was played by Tay Diggs. Going back to Allie Larder. I love this girl so much. She is our female survivor. Happy birthday again. Um, so Mr. Pritchett, who we kind of glossed over in the first movie, <laughs> he, he's actually he's got a bigger part in this one. Uh, but he's played yes. by uh, Chris Catan, who I recognize from stuff. But the only thing I really know, know him for is Night at the Roxbury opposite Will Ferrell. That's right. Finally, Bridget Wilson Sampras plays the female who gets killed real quick. The doctor... Yeah. For some reason, I didn't include him on here either. <laughs> oh, he's a big guy too, but I can't think of his name. Um, uh, can I just say that I love the fact that James Marsters is in, the, in this movie for a moment? I got I get a gush about this man so much. I love James Marsters, uh, but he plays a cameraman in the very beginning of the movie about for a, a news channel. <laughs> I love that, like in the in the elevator though, he's like jumping. He's like, oh god, because he doesn't want to die with the elevator dro- like dropping. So he thinks jumping's gonna help him. Uh, Peter Gallagher, that's the doctor. So it's roughly the same plot as the original movie. Uh, yeah. Huge changes here and there. Uh, the first big thing is that the haunted house is actually an insane asylum, um, which drove me fucking nuts the whole movie. They kept calling it a house, and I, I was know. like, it is clearly a it's like a an industrial building. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But it, cement walls. It kicks off wild just dark from the beginning so it starts out with a doctor who works at the psychiatric hospital and he's doing just and he's supposed to be like some big acclaimed like well-known doctor he is doing just awful experiments on these people it kicks off with a huge insurrection by all the i don't inmates of this hospital because basically they probably weren't there willingly (laughs) uh but the patients of the hospital sure yeah uh, they murder all of the staff except for five, and that yeah, five of them make it out. Is including Pritchett's father, who's the owner. He's one of the five. So what happens is the millionaire again throws a party at a haunted house, which isn't really a house, for his awful wife, and he invites five seemingly random people. And it turns out that these five people are descendants of the five of the staff that get out. They were also not the original five that he had intended to invite. The computer takes over and rewrites his invites. Then all the same stuff... it's the house. uh, Yeah, so all the same stuff happens. You find out that the wife is plotting with the doctor to kill the husband so she can get his money. Plot twist, she kills the doctor... And it turns out that the house truly Viciously. is, yeah, without the blank faced. Um, yeah, turns out the house is truly haunted by all these spirits, souls. Yeah, they're all trapped there. And the only two of the f- the whole group to survive are Tay Diggs and Ali Larder. But it ends with them on a window over the cliff. Like I don't know how the how they got out of there <laughs> no idea how they got out of there basically the same thing they just elevated it with what caitlin had hoped was going on in the first one by adding a legitimate haunted yeah exactly <laughs> um and um, there was a lot of gore yeah it's a lot more gore and it's because they had they can do that in the original you only see and if you ever watch it in color you barely see any blood and it's only the little bit that drops on her hand and what's on the head fun fact that tees us up for kind of our theme for today's podcast Mm -hmm. and that is that we're going to talk about how horror has changed through the decades with the the remake they did and they did make it kind of um modern so they they pushed it up to actually seem like it was in 1999 when this was happening and so uh steven price the original millionaire uh he runs a theme park and they use a roller coaster in the very like opening of the scenes and stuff, and it's the uh, the Incredible Hulk ride at the Universal Studios in Florida. Uh, so, 
For the original invitation that he had intended to send out, it shows you the computer and he's typed up the five. And the names that are on there are the director and producer of the film, as well as Valdemar Timerack, who was a serial killer and a supposed evil spirit uh, in the Tales from the Crypt, Report from the Grave, which is a movie that they directed or something. I was thinking as I was watching it, like, I bet those are the cast and crew that they listed or throwbacks to the original movie. See, I, I would have, that's exactly what I would have done is I would have probably like slipped specific names and then gone back to the original and pulled like original names like Nora Manning or Frederick Lauren. Yeah. It'd be really funny to pull from the original. The demon thing that they make. So this is kind of the era, era of CGI. <laughs> this is when everything was like first like really cool to use the cgi stuff um but it's clearly cgi uh <laughs> yeah. so the spirit thing when it starts coming out and you see it it looks like the warshak inkblot tests and it- i never so again i've seen this movie multiple times i own this i've never thought of that until you said it and i was like oh i'm dumb because i always saw things in it and i was like oh okay yeah you can like see the faces uh but the shape mm-hmm. of it some, like yeah. It, it looks like those blot tests, mm-hmm. uh, which it's kind of obvious because it's in a psychiatric ward. I thought it was kind of weird. Made it less menacing because it's like, that looks like, because maybe it depends on what you see, right? I'm like, that looks like a butterfly. <laughs> but maybe other people really see it and they're like, well, murder. It does have wings though. There are wings in that. But they're like, I feel like they're supposed to look like evil wings, but it it, it reminded me of a butterfly too. <laughs> but I guess that just tells you... Uh, what our psychiatric state is i guess i don't know we just like to look at the butterflies <laughs> there was also an alternate ending to this movie the character of pritchett survives with the female and at the end she's getting taken off in a police car like with a blanket and everything and he's doing an interview and they're bringing out the bodies of all the other people who died mm-hmm I'll have to double check on my my disc and see if I have that alternate ending. Yeah, I don't know if they filmed it or if it was just in writing. That would have been really interesting to see, though. In this one, compared to the original, six people die in this movie. And you see blood and gore, while there's only, like, really confirmed two deaths in the original. Um... So like I said, there were a couple of awards for this movie. Um, the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards... The Ty Diggs won the favorite supporting actor, which I thought was really cool. And then it was a nominee for the Golden Trailer Awards, but it did not win. It did win uh, one of the Stinky Awards, something. I don't remember exactly what the title was, but it it won for the worst remake. (laughs) I really liked the original. I was not a fan of this one. Uh, Which Um, brings us to the third movie of this, I don't know, series, I guess. Return to the House on Haunted Hill in 2007. So I disliked the remake so much I didn't watch this one. Return to House on Haunted Hill is the one that's always playing on TV randomly. But it was directed by Victor Garcia and written by William Mesa. Basically, Allie Larder kills herself. Ariel is her little sister in the movie. They get kidnapped by an art dealer who wants this relic that's inside of the um, asylum, basically. And they find out that this guy ended up killing Sarah, not herself. And this is when you find out that basically all the evil that's inside of this uh, asylum comes from a figurine of the demon Baphomet, who is known as the deity that the Knights Templar are accused of worshipping. So he's the one that kind of has like the goat head and stuff. And so he is the reason that all of this evil is happening, and he is the one that corrupted the doctor in the first place and made the doctor go insane. So they try and give you reasoning for why all of these these things are happening and the house is actually alive. And basically the house in this one, the house is rigged uh, to keep everyone inside for 12 hours. So everything shuts down and everybody starts dying. But Allie keeps getting visions of how certain patients were killed and tortured in this place and like the ghosts are like reaching out and giving her these visions and so basically the ghosts are asking for help so basically they're like we're gonna throw this statue into the sewer and all of these spirits will go away ta-da it's terrible 
it supposedly had a third movie installment planned in the series but because the dvd sales for this movie were so bad they canceled all the plans it was supposed to come out in october of 2010 never happened and i did look for this but i never got a chance to see it there was a post-credit scene where a man and a woman are about to have sex on the beach Ooh, getting it on and the woman fills something under the sand they dig it up and they pull out the baphomet idol how very jumanji <laughs> i know that's what i thought too Quick note on Baphomet. 2015, the Satanic Temple commissioned a statue of Baphomet and then moved it around to various places as a protest against displays of the Ten Commandments monument. Huge controversy about it. People hated it. And then there were others eh, that were like, it's my religion. Basically, each film kind of tries to one-up the previous one because we went from just a fucked-up relationship to... This house is haunted to, oh shit, there's a deity involved. Um, And I think that is a nice way to lean into horror through the ages. So I got the frame for this uh, off of an article from the New York Film Festival. I'll pin it into the Insta for this, this episode. But... They cite, and many other places do as well, that the first horror movie was in 19, oh, sorry, 1898 or 96, depending on where you look. And it had like cauldrons, skeletons, ghosts, bats, all that jazz. It was called Le Manoir du Diable. It was only three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it survived to this day. No, I don't think anyone has any footage of it. I wouldn't be surprised. That's. That would be a long time for something like that to last. But uh, so going from there, we go into the literary years, which is basically the 1900s to the 1920s. It's the supernatural films based on novels and short stories. Um, So you're going to get a lot of like Edgar Allan Poe stuff. Um, But a lot of the works include include the first adaptations of Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and The Werewolf, which are all very well-known Um, horror icons. Next came the golden age of horror, uh, the 20s through the 30s. This is often considered, depending on who you're talking to, I guess, to be the crowning era of horror. So it started in the 20s with silent movies, uh, like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, uh, Nosferatu, which will be... Have you seen either of those? No. Uh, And then... Right after that, this is when what is called the talkies kind of picked up, which is where the the non-silent movies come into hand, where they actually talk. And so did the monster movies. So Frankenstein in 1931, The Mummy in 1932, the first color adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1931 as well. So all of these dark class, like universal classics, those are what these the ones that really kind of like stepped into the limelight here. And uh, the 30s marked the first time in the industry that the word horror was actually used to describe the genre. And it clearly stuck. <laughs> the first version of Dracula came out, as well as a movie called Freaks. Um, but they were deemed too controversial because of the content and they weren't censored enough. Freaks was actually banned for 30 years in Great Britain. Um, And I think that that was because of the wars and stuff that was going on. It was just like a lot for the world to handle. Uh, Which brings us into the atomic years, which was the 40s and 50s. Um, So the big part of this era was the Hammer Horror Company, which is still making movies today, which is pretty cool. They did a bunch of remakes and sequels of the Dark Universe Monsters uh, they also started doing TV shows and psychological thrillers got added to like the horror genre. Most importantly, this is when Alfred Hitchcock introduced slashers. That marvelous genius man of him. Um, of course, these are when the dramas of the war were still present in monsters. So, so it turned less monstery and replaced by nuclear and was replaced by nuclear mutants like Godzilla. So this was when Godzilla came out and he big monster ah <laughs> and the fear of invasions so like war of the worlds in 1953 which was originally a radio broadcast which is really cool and it terrified people it absolutely scared people they thought it was real it was really happening they had no idea what to do 
and it was a whole problem. <laughs> but, but this introduced all the disaster movies that came out. This leads us into the gimmicky years, which is the 50s and the 60s. You know, enter House on Haunted Hill. This is when all of that was coming out. So you get extra theatrical measures, as discussed previously, where we added heightened experiences and improved interaction. So like a lot of low budget films get these kind of like little additions here and there. And then in the late 60s and onwards, gore and slasher films were high in demand. Um, well, especially here in America, because apparently people just love slashers and stuff. <laughs> we want to see a bleed. <laughs> I need to see the blood. That doesn't look like blood because it wasn't allowed to. <laughs> Um, but basically this included the beginning of all the zombie movies that came out, like Night of the, uh, Night of the Living Dead in 1968, which is a great movie. Let's see. And then in the 70s and 80s, this was dubbed by that article I was telling you about as the All Hells Break Loose era. So one of my favorite things about movies and books, and I guess like all art, is when real life pressures and culture... And whatever's going on, like, seeps into it. So in the 70s and 80s, the occult, uh, going back to Satanism, um, (laughs) was becoming, like, this big thing. There, So a lot of movies started to feature, you know, haunted houses, kids being possessed by the devil. It was a lot of, like, devil worshipping type evilness. There was a rise of occultism and Satanism following the Manson mass murders like that whole helter skelter thing because they were all culty um i think this is it's also in a um and then there was also the satanic panic which was really big in the 80s i love that that needs to be a band name satanic panic it probably is but the two big movies that came out of this were the exorcist and the omen additionally supernatural horror was very much the thing literature started coming back like stephen king movies uh, Carrie with her magic, The Shining, Poltergeist. But this is kind of where you talk about the director of Hit the Pendulum. He, the quote that we had where he was like, in my day, all the horror happened off screen. So like the, right. like the house on Haunted Hill, right? You don't see her getting hung or anything. You just see her feet. And then you get into all we want to do is see people bleed. <laughs> Yeah, we want to, we want to see the dust. We want that graphicness, and that's the like. I think The Exorcist really showed that because of the way that they showed Reagan changing and all like the bile that she pukes up and the way that her skin like rots and stuff like that. I think that's when you really get to start seeing some of the really gross pieces. And then even in uh, the House on Haunted Hill, between the original and the '99 version. Like we talked about, uh, the second one, it's just in-your-face gore from the first mm-hmm. four minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, speaking of gore, this leads us into the slasher years. Uh, it does overlay with the 80s, um, but slashers are just the best, in my opinion. But so these are based off a lot. A lot of them are sparked off of real-life terror. And... Um, you have a lot of like prolific serial killers uh, running around like Bundy, um, you know, shout out Utah killers, <laughs> <laughs> John Wayne Gacy, the son of Sam, Zodiac killer, Richard Ramirez. Oh, he's crazy. Um, but there's so many and they all ended up kind of becoming cult classics, you know, that turned into Halloween, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, where they built mass franchises. And this was like a whole new explosion of the genre with slashers again another instance where you can clearly see the whatever's going on in real time is which makes me it's so weird because if that's something you're stressed about in your day-to-day like if i am worried that i'm gonna get murdered by a serial killer the last thing i want to do is go watch a movie about it but yeah I, i guess it's just a way to contextualize real life fears and make it seem like it's not going to happen to you. Like, if it's on screen, it's not you. It's somebody else's problem. Fun little fact. In Halloween, uh, when uh, Lori is talking with Tommy when he, she's babysitting and everything, there's a movie going on in the background. It's House on Haunted Hill, the original. And you hear her. You hear the uh, 
a Annabelle, uh, the uh, millionaire's wife, screaming right before she gets killed. So following the 80s was the 90s. This article has it listed as the doldrums era, uh, which I had to look up because I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> and I guess it's a noun, meaning a state or period of inactivity, stagnation, or depression, which makes it sound like that was not a good year or a good decade for horror movies. Apparently the 90s, were, yeah. Uh, which is when that second movie came out <laughs> that we talked about. Uh, the, the 99. The I gotta say, I I don't know if I would classify it as a doldrum. I guess it just depends on your taste. Maybe my tastes aren't artsy enough for them. But And then you throw in like TV, Charmed, uh, Buffy. Buffy was coming out. Yeah. All of those like classics. And I think, is the 90s when The Craft came out? Yes. I so, I feel, so I feel like a lot of cult following type movies and things came out 96 yep so maybe they call it the doldrums because like screen wise they weren't super awesome but uh a lot of them have a cult following some of the other ones that came out were um, interview with a vampire can't dog on that movie body snatchers that movie's amazing tremors the blair witch project misery tremors is wonderful <laughs> kathy bates gets uh, is it kathy bates it is Kathy Bates. In yes. misery, yeah. She gets yep. like she's a pop culture reference all over the place. Silence of the Lambs. Kathy Bates is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I'd classify it as the doldrum. But the other thing that came out in the '90s were CJ monsters, as we saw yep. with our inkblot demon. <laughs> He's so scary. And he was at the end of the decade, so he was supposed to be prime time. <laughs> Which leads us into the 2000s slash present day. Well, really fast going back. Uh, in right at like the end of the 90s, the uh, that's when like kind of horror par parodies started coming out. And my all time favorite horror movie on this planet, uh, that's it came out in 99. And I'm talking about Scream. Uh, but yes, this leads us into present day 2000s and now. And this is now I I was big into zombies growing up loved them thought they were super cool and this is really when zombies got massively big so you got resident evil in 2002 28 days later which is my all-time favorite infection movie it's zombies but infected um you get dawn of the dead the remake in 2004 zombie land in 2009 we just got zombie land 2 which is really entertaining <laughs> i just watched a movie called so i just watched a zombie movie called the dead don't die and it's kind of a it's not like a spook, but it's kind of a satire on zombie movies. Mm -hmm. And then I glimpsed upon an article about how it is talking about kind of like the end of zombies uh, as far as movies. Because the storyline's the same a lot of the time. There's not much you it's can do with it. Um, and that's kind of what that story was playing on. The biggest change I saw with zombies was 28 Days Later. I It will be interesting to see if... Maybe in the next era of horror films, a new take on zombies comes out. So there's a resurgence of torture porn, which is like a subgenre. And basically it's Saw and Hostel. It's those franchises. So now, considering uh, we have all these different kinds of movies coming out, the best thing that's making a comeback are the classic haunting movies. I'm actually really excited ooh, about ooh, this. Ooh, I ooh, love ooh. haunting movies. I do too. I always have. So, like, that's, like, the Conjuring film ser series that are coming out, which is great. They're so good. It's, like, this whole full return of the atmospheric horror flicks that just trade in fear, suspense, and, like, the mood that's just, like, super eerie and creepy. Um, so, like, the Insidious movies that are coming out are phenomenal. The Babadook, which was really weird, and I wanted to strangle that child myself, but nonetheless, it added to the storyline. And uh, throwing back to episode two... The Autopsy of Jane Doe, great haunting flick. But in the end, The Return of Haunted, uh, House on Haunted Hill came out in 2007, so it aims right in the middle of this time. And uh, I think that's, it's just, it's a per perfect little circle of horror life. <laughs> that concludes episode five. So we have only had two people reach out to us. So, I want more of you. Contact. I want to hear from you. So, where you can tell us, 
You can email us at horrorcatswitchhats at gmail.com. Send us a message on Instagram at uh, horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. Hit us on Facebook at the same thing. Horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. All there. And please, please, please follow us, like us, subscribe, rate, review. We are available pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. If we're not available somewhere you want us to be, tell us. Tell your friends. We want your feedback. We want to know what you think. Yes. We know what movies you want us to do. Yes. If you are an international listener, listener, and you have a movie that is maybe is it so big here in America that you want us to do, tell us. Oh, yeah, please. I'll even watch a movie with subtitles. <laughs> I'll do subtitles. That's fine. But yeah. Meow. <laughs>